You know, when you look at the title that I have is, uh, for our message this morning, to be quite frank about it, in a church like this and knowing that a number of you have been saved for such a long time, it is pretty easy to take it for granted. It's pretty easy to look at a title and see deity of Jesus Christ, obviously. But we should never take that for granted because there are many who do not know and understand who God is even as we talked about eternal life last week and knowing God. But we are dealing with the deity of Jesus Christ again this morning, and it's affirmed in our passage. It is confirmed. It is verified. It is again spoken of very clearly in our passage. For those of you who have not been with us, and also the benefit of students who come back and so forth, as we can probably not surprised to find out when they went away. I haven't made a lot of progress since I've been gone for a a semester. But we are in chapter 17 of John. And in the first, in this chapter, we're dealing with the Lord's Prayer, the true Lord's Prayer. And we're in part one still, and Lord willing, we'll be completed with that this morning, in which the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, prays for personal desires and concentrates on himself before moving to his apostles and then moving to those who would benefit, such as you and I, by their word. And we have seen, and you can see it from what I just read and uh, carefully looked at, that the purpose in this section, very clearly, is that Jesus' primary purpose is to bring glory to the Father. And that is the original outline that I gave you for these five verses. He wants the Father to be glorified. He wants the Son to be glorified, but in doing that, obviously to bring glory to the Father. And how was he to accomplish that from what we've learned? How would he accomplish bringing glory to the Father? First of all, we saw, and we come to the third aspect tonight, from your, this morning, from your original outline. But the first aspect was in his life. He was always doing the Father's will. He did always that which pleased the Father, we saw. But in the context, the immediate context, though we've broken it up in different ways, It is accomplished in seeing the three gifts that are also involved there that I had referred to several weeks ago. It was actually a month ago. And that is, first of all, the Father gave all authority to the Son. Secondly, the Father gave believers to the Son, and then we talked about election. We talked about God's sovereignty. But his obedience in life is seen that he received authority, all authority from the Father, and he also receives, as the Father draws believers to Jesus Christ, and the Son accepts that. But then, as we concluded even last week, was really the third part of that. And the third gift seen here is that the Son gives, at the end of verse 2, that he may give eternal life. The Son gives eternal life. It's a free gift. And you see these gifts here. God is a very gracious of the Lord, as we talk about Thanksgiving, to have this plan of salvation. And what is eternal life? We talked about that last week at Lent. The entire message was spent on that. It is to know God. And it is to know him, we said, in an experiential way. And we made very clear, no man, no believer, even in eternity, will ever have a full, complete knowledge of God. It will take all eternity to keep learning of him. Because God, as we saw in the scriptures, cannot be known in his fullest capacity. And it's only by what he has revealed to us that we can know him. And so eternal life and knowing him, being a believer, 
is really, and that's why it's present now and will continue. It is to really have no, to have a knowledge of God that the unsaved world does not have. It's the privilege of knowing the one true God, the genuine God, the only God. That's what the passage is dealing with. And all the other religions of the world that would come up and worship God and all those who refer to God don't know the one true God, the genuine God. And Jesus Christ, his son, as represented by God and presented by God. So it is an absolute privilege and honor to have eternal life. And what we said is it's an experiential knowledge. It is a personal relationship. That's why we refer to it that way. He's not just talking about intellectual knowledge. So in offering salvation by believing that God has revealed his plan, and we find it in himself, we find it in his son, and we find it in the plan of salvation, and so eternal life is believing what God has presented and revealed about himself and his son in coming to trust in Christ. He's accomplished that. He accomplished the work that he had given him to do through verse 4. And now he was praying, obviously, and that goes back to verses 1 and 2. He was looking for the glorification and uh, for the son to be uh, Father to be glorified through the death of the Son. And then the last section is the one that we're into today in the original outline. And that is the last part of this personal desires, if you will, is he wants to bring glory to God by his relationship that he had in eternity, by going back to the Father, as we will see this morning. And he will glorify the Lord, the, the Father then, through his life, through his death, and now will glorify the Father again in returning to him and enjoying the glory that he had with him for all eternity. And as I said to you, this is an affirmation of the deity of Jesus Christ and is not to be overlooked. And I need to just spend a, a couple of minutes, and then we're going to go quickly through a couple of verses here, a couple of parts of the verse, and spend more time on that time that Christ had with the Father and who Jesus Christ really is. But as we took the time with eternal life, I just want to put this in your mind right away again. As we took the time to deal with the revelation of God and the fact that we cannot go know God and understand him fully, but we can know him by what he's revealed through creation, through the scriptures, through the person of Jesus Christ. And eternal life is really knowing the one true God and the genuine God. It is also true in seeing God. All human beings, because of what's built in by God with the conscience and so forth, desires to know God. Uh, there is that within him built in. And we would love to see God. But we learned in John chapter 1, verse 18, that no man has seen God at any time. Now that can be a puzzle to us, just like eternal life in knowing God and saying we can never fully know God, but we can know him by what he revealed. And we begin to know more and more and more about him like the apostles wanted. And we will do that for all eternity as we learn about God. The same thing is true with seeing God. We mean that in the fullest vi vision of God. No man has ever seen fully God in all of his essence. If we looked at scripture, you would see that just like with eternal life, you have that same type of thing. That what happens is, for example, Moses. Well, let me even go back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve walked with God, and God spoke to them. And they enjoyed his presence, but not the fullness of what God really is in all of his essence and character. 
And while it says with Moses in the book of Exodus that he talked with God face to face, understand that God's not like us. He's not just in one place. And the way he was able to be in the presence of God and see God face to face, he didn't fully comprehend and understand all of who God is. Why? Because God is spirit. We have learned that in John. He is not like us physically. He is spirit. And in his fullest essence in understanding him, we will not ever fully grasp that or see that. Again, we will see him as he is. We will see him face to face. But understand, even as a believer, going back to last week's message, in all of eternity, we will begin to understand more about God and learn more, but we will never, ever fully be able to grasp all of who he is, even in his various presence. And I say that because it brings us to, again, Jesus Christ and the concept of the incarnation and the concept of who Jesus Christ really is and really why we need to understand that he is, as you just read in Colossians, the fullness of the image of God in the fullest sense and just how unique Jesus Christ is. So as we go on now in verse 5, we come to this last section. And you notice again, you outline the first two points. I'm just going to bounce right through because it's right there. And we've seen it. His desire is that the Father be glorified again with him together with the glory that he had before. So, Father, glorify me together with yourself. And so first thing, his desire is for glorification again. Not personal just so it's for him, but so that the Father would be glorified. He seeks glorification. What is he doing? He's anticipating, and if you look a little closely at the structure here, grammatically and through the wording and the tenses and so forth, you do see that he anticipates the death in the context, the burial, the resurrection, and he obviously anticipates being back with the Father, and all of the glory will go to God the Father, and the Father will also have glorified the Son. It is a sure thing. It's something that he looks forward to, that there's no question that's going to happen. His ascension is found in Acts chapter 1. I won't turn there. His sitting at the right hand is found in several places of Scripture, one of which is in Hebrews chapter 1. And so the Lord Jesus Christ fully anticipates that. And before he gets to Gethsemane, before he gets to the crucifixion in the context, we have this prayer on the way in which his desire is for the Father to be glorified. But I want you to understand, it's not in question. It will happen. And he fully understands that. He understands that he's done everything that the Father wants. He will go to the cross and he wants glorification in that. And he will be with the Father again. And so it's all anticipated. So that's his desire. Where did he come from? Well, he came from the Father in heaven. We've seen this already, but I'll spend a couple of moments on that. He says he wants to be glorified together with him. You notice, with the glory which I had with you. When we understand Jesus Christ and we think about Jesus Christ, where did we come from? Well, number one, if you want to go back to Adam and Eve, we were created. Secondly, this day and age, where do we come from? Our parents. Well, where did Jesus Christ come from? Did he come from Mary? Well, in a sense, the incarnation, as we'll talk about that in a second. But it was before that. He was with the Father. He came from the Father. And this one I will emphasize to you when he talks about the fact with the glory which I had with you, it's an imperfect tense. 
It's a continuous pass action. He always enjoyed it. Jesus continually enjoyed the presence of the Father. Unlike us who had to be created by God and unlike us who had a beginning point in our life, Jesus Christ was with the Father. So he came from him. Many, many concepts are here about Jesus Christ, again, in talking about the deity. A good teacher, a good man. People today are looking up to heroes. We call them icons today. We're looking up to people who uh, people think are heroes in sports, or heroes in the business world, or heroes even in religion, and even in Christian circles. I guarantee in this audience, there are people that are looked to, Calvin is probably the most thrown around today, and so forth, or Spurgeon, and so forth, and so on. They look to these people as heroes, and, and so forth. That's tremendous, but they are all people who had beginnings. The true person of Jesus Christ is not just someone who's a hero. He is a savior. He is God, very God, as we will see, because he enjoyed the presence of the Father. And I want you to see that just from John's account, and this is kind of a repeat of something most of which was taught earlier, especially in chapter 6. But I want you to go back to chapter 3 of John for just a second. You know, Jesus Christ, where did he come from? We think about, we're moving toward Christmas very rapidly. And we think about that babe and so forth. Where did Jesus come from? John chapter 3. Just look at verse 2 for a moment. Watch this. This is Nicodemus, right? And he says, this man came to Jesus by night and said, watch this, Rabbi, we know that you have come where? From God. There's something different about you. You didn't just come from Mary. This teacher knew it. You have come from God. Get on to verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven, watch this, but he who descended from heaven. Who's that? The Son of Man. Jesus Christ, where did he come from? He came from heaven. We need to understand that. He didn't just come from Bethlehem. Oh, yes, there's the incarnation. Man being made, a God being made flesh. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But that's not his starting points. He came from heaven. We all know 16, right? Watch verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave. Where did he come from? God. That's where he came from. Go with me to chapter 6. We spent the time on these verses, but let me, let me remind you of them. In chapter 6 of John's account, verse 33, I want this so ingrained in your mind, even as Christmas comes, and as you have an opportunity with relatives, and you're having opportunities with people you talk with to understand, when they think of Jesus Christ, is it just a nice baby? Is it just is the cross it? Was Bethlehem, was that it? No, no, no. This person came from God. Stay with that one, and then we'll end up with the next part of it. But chapter 6, verse 33. For the bread of God, who is Jesus Christ, is that which comes down, watch, out of heaven. He can give life because he came out of heaven, verse 38. Jesus Christ said, for I have come down where? From heaven. Look at verse 41. 
Verse 41, he says, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Verse 50, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down out of I'm going to tell you this much. I am probably in course 101 here for myself. And I don't know all that the Lord's saying here. And some of you could probably dissect this better than I can. But I got this much. If in chapter 6, God has to keep saying to me, out of heaven, out of heaven, out of heaven, out of heaven, I got the message. Jesus Christ didn't just come out of Bethlehem. He came from the Father. He came out of heaven. Verse 58. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Chapter 7. I want you to see these things that we've already studied. In case you think, well, Pastor Dan, you're dealing with deity again. We've already dealt with that. Do you see how many times? Why? Don't forget how we started this book. These things are written. Why? So that people might understand that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. Why? So that by believing they might have life through his name. It's the whole purpose of the writing of this account. And he's got to do a chapter after chapter after chapter. So we really understand who Jesus Christ is, not what the world depicts. No wonder we talked about last week eternal life and understanding the one true genuine God. And understanding who Jesus Christ is, not another Jesus that the world has created, but the true Jesus of the Bible. You see? Don't be fooled when you're witnessing the people. You believe on Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, I believe. Just a little part of personal testimony here. Growing up as a Roman Catholic, if you would have asked me, did I believe that Jesus Christ came into the world and was born in Bethlehem, I would have said to you, yes. You believe he died on the cross? Yes. Do you believe he died on the cross for sins? Yes. Do you believe he rose from the dead? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is in heaven at the right hand of the Father? I would have said to you, yes, and I was still unsaved. You see? I didn't fully comprehend why all of this was involved. That he's the only Savior, that this was God in the flesh. That this was God, though I heard those verses, that without him there is no salvation. That this is part of God's plan because he left eternity past. You need to understand the God of the Bible. Chapter 7, did I say 28? Did I read it? Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and where I am from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you don't know. See, knowledge last week, eternal life. You don't know that God. You're saying you know God. You're saying you're the people of God. You don't know the one true God. You say you know where I'm from. You really should, but you don't. And you say, well, obviously he's talking about Bethlehem. Oh, yeah, look at verse 29. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. You see? You know who I am. You've heard it. I came from heaven. I came from the Father. Chapter 8, verse 42. Chapter 8, verse 42. You need to have this drilled. I need to have this drilled. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Why? I'll tell you why. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative. But he sent me. See? 
He was in heaven. So where did he come from? He's saying in this prayer, he's saying, Father, glorify me with the glory which I had with you. You see? So the son was there. I can't say that. You can't say that. And in chapter 16, before we get back to our text, in chapter 16, we just saw this in verses 27 and 28 again, where he said, for the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed what? Watch this, that I came forth from the Father. Verse 28, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. And then he says, I'm leaving. And that's when he was instructing his disciples. I'm going back. I'm going back to the Father. So in the case of Jesus Christ, he came from the Father. Now the last part of the verse, chapter 17, verse 5. He says, I want to again bring glory I want to have that glory which I had with you, and then watch what he says. When did it exist? He tells us. What does he say? Last four words. Help me. Before the world was. That is, that is deity, folks. In eternity past, before the world was even formed, Jesus Christ was here. Jesus Christ was with the Father, co-equal with him. Where was he? You want me to show you? Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. This is an affirmation that our Savior is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. All right, ready for this? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, what's the next word? God created the heavens and the earth. There he is. You say, it doesn't say Jesus Christ in my Bible. That's him. What? Stay with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus Christ was there. He was involved in the creation. Go with me to John, the very first chapter where we started our study. John chapter 1. Why are we saying all of this? Why, Pastor Dan, are you taking the time? Listen, in our world today, that is a confused world, in my opinion, and it's not that it's much different from other times, but there are a lot of different Jesuses that are being presented. There aren't many places that are dealing with the deity of Jesus Christ because it'll upset the people. You need to understand if you haven't got this Savior, you haven't got the right one. That is eternal life, knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. You have to understand that. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was what? The Word. The Word was what? With God. And what? The Word was God. The same was the beginning with God. And then look at verse 3. All things came into being through him. And what you've got, and I don't know if you remember the discussion, but bottom line is this. Face to face is the concept here, literally. The son was face to face with the father. There's two aspects. That's why you've got a trinity that we call a triune Godhead. Okay? And notice this. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being, and in him was life. And you know verse 14 there, obviously. 
Go with me to chapter 8 of John. Chapter 8 of John. When did Jesus Christ enjoy being in the presence of the Father? In eternity past, folks. In eternity past. That's why this is a practical discussion, really, in John chapter 8. Very practical to the circumstances of the day where the Jews are trying to figure things out and they said they knew Abraham, they said they knew God. Just like people today say, I'm of Abraham's seed, or people turn around and say, I know God. And Jesus Christ had to correct their thinking. He had to say to them, do you really know God? Well, if you really knew the one true God, you would know me, because I came from him. And if you really were the sons of Abraham, you would understand that I'm the Messiah. You say, where did he say that? Look at verse 54. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father, Now we've talked about that before, who glorifies me, of whom you say, watch this, he's our God, and you have not come to know him. Isn't that interesting? What is eternal life? Knowing the one true God. But what does he say? I know him, and if I say I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see, watch this, my day, I don't know if you remember this study, and he saw it and was glad. Just to show you how they didn't know God, they're still in this world's thinking. So the Jews said to him, you got to be kidding me. You're not 50 years old. By the way, that was considered young. Got that one? You're not even 50. See? He's not saying you're 100, just to encourage those that are 50 and above. He's saying, you're not even 50. You're not even, you're a baby. Okay? But, I, sorry for that little side trip. All right. But you're not even 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Watch Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what? I am. Ego me. I am. I always was. I was there. And what did they want to do? They wanted to kill him because they understood the magnitude of what he was saying. And in Jesus Christ's prayer, understand that. What his whole focus is, but I want you to understand that it's affirming his deity too. Before he even deals with his disciples, he knows what's ahead, and he knows that he's going to go to the cross, and he knows in just a few moments he's going to be saying, Father, if it be possible, remove this, and he knows he's going to continue to go. But even knowing that, he still prays. And he prays for himself, and he says, Father, really what I'm seeking is to bring glory to your name. I've done everything I can on earth. I fulfilled everything, and I will fulfill it. Help me to fulfill it in the death, and help me also until I'm basically back with you where I was right from the beginning, before any of this existed. That's deity. That is to understand who we have as a Savior. And by the way, for those of you that didn't catch it, because I'm going to Colossians next, Jesus Christ was the one involved in creating the world that you and I live in. You understand that? There aren't a lot of people that talk about Jesus Christ that think about him as the creator of the world. But John chapter 1 made it clear that there was nothing created without him. And in case you don't think it's clear enough there, let me go to Hebrews, then I'll go to Colossians. Go to Hebrews chapter 1 for a minute. Hebrews chapter 1. You know what? Honestly, 
I want you to understand my heart. This ought to bring tears to us. Now, I don't see anybody crying, and I'm not crying. Why? To understand that as we get into this prayer of the Lord, that this is the creator of the universe that died for me. I would never be able to be in the presence of God. I would never be able to have sins forgiven if it wasn't for the creator of the world. He's got the power to create everything that you and I know, everything that every scientist will ever discover, and all of the depths of that, and the beauty and everything else, and he died for me. How to bring tears to our eyes. Hebrews 1. Talk about thanksgiving. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us by his son. Now, who is that? Watch this. Who he appointed heir of all things. Watch this. Through, by means of, if you will, through whom he what? Made the world. And he's the radiance of his glory. The exact representation of his nature. You and I can't say that in the sense of the fullness of it. Not only that, he upholds all things by the word of his power. He holds it together. Now go with me to Colossians chapter 1, where our responsive reading was, and that's what you're going to see. So who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? Just someone that came in time? No, eternally God. We see that Jesus Christ was not created. He's eternally God. Colossians chapter 1. Let me pick it up in verse 13. It says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, just his beloved son. Just dwell on that for a moment. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Is what I just said. He's done that. Brought us out of darkness into light. And who is Jesus Christ? Here it is. He is the image. We happen to talk about this concept in, in, in class this morning. He is the image of the invisible God. We can't see him. You see? And yet, now some get caught up with the firstborn of all creation. Let me just give it to you this way. I've preached on it before, but it's, he's dealing with preeminence here, which is obvious from the context. He's not saying that he was the first one created. Not at all. Why? How do we know that? Watch, verse 16. It's self-explanatory. For by him who? Jesus Christ. By him who? The Son. Immediate. By the way, I know there's been debates on this and so forth, eternal sonship and so forth, and terminology. I'm going to tell you something very simple. Very simple. That all of the pronouns that are in Colossians chapter 1, every one of them refer back to his beloved Son. Every single one of them. He is the image of the invisible God, for by him, the Son, all things were created. Explain that, okay? Both in heaven and on earth. Where else is there? I need help. Visible and invisible. Ever see an angel? No. Where do the angels come from? The Son. Let's go on. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, 
some things have been created by him. I don't think so. It's not what my Bible says. All. Does it mean everyone? Everything? Absolutely. All things have been created through him, not only that, and for him. And here's also the help. He who is the he, the son, is before all things, and in him, who's him, the son, all things hold together. The only reason these planets don't smash, the only reason everything works, gravity and everything else, the kids study and science and whatever, is because our, listen folks, Savior holds it together. It's the one that died for you and me. He's praying to the Father and he says, I can't wait to be back in your presence to enjoy the glory that we had together before any of this was here. That's who our Savior is. That's what Jesus Christ is saying. It's an affirmation of the deity of Jesus Christ. I personally believe that John chapter 17, verse 5, is explained in the next passage. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And this is one of the most profound theological passages of all of Scripture. Could we ever explore the depths of it to give you the understanding? The answer is no. But can the Christian, the one that truly knows God, begin to grasp the depths of it? I say to you, yes. Because of the indwelling Holy Spirit that's been given to us as a down payment, and it begins to help us to understand Philippians chapter 2, this very deep passage, beginning in verse 5 is where I'll pick it up. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, his attest of us, who although he existed in the form of God. Now, I didn't continue all in Colossians, but he is the absolute perfect representation of God. Everything is found in Jesus Christ. Why? Because of what Matthew says. This is God with us. If you want to see what he would look like as a man, Jesus Christ. And we think only of the physical. No, think beyond that. You want to see what it would be like for a man that never committed sin? Look at Jesus Christ. Philip, you want to really see what God is like? Understand the Father? Look at me, Jesus Christ said. Well, what happened? What did he do? He existed in the form of God, but he did not think it regard equality with God a thing to be grasped while we understand to be held on to. Here's what he did. He emptied himself. Now, there's a lot of depth to that. I'm not trying to be oversimplifying. Please understand. And yet, in another way, I am trying to make it simple so you can grasp it. He emptied himself, and he did this by taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of man. You see, we were created in the image of God. We are not to create God in our image, and that's what man does. The true believer is the one who has the knowledge of God as God has revealed himself to us. And part of his revealing of himself to us was to leave the glory that he was enjoying before anything was ever created. And he came into the world that he created 
John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2. And he laid aside that glory. You see, when Jesus Christ came, he was still fully God. He was still fully man when he took upon him, verse 7, right? Being found, verse 8, in the appearance of a man. People just saw a man. Was that just a man? Was that just a, a baby in a stable? No. It was someone who laid aside, that's John 17, 5. The glory that he had while retaining who he is in his nature and taking with him, Hebrews, that which was foreign to him, flesh and blood. And he took it on to himself. And we saw him as the appearance of a man who was God with us. And he humbled himself, amazingly, verse 8, by becoming obedient. His prayer was, I have glorified thee on the earth. Father, glorify you yourself now and your son with the hour that has come. It was death. He was obedient right to that as the one who was here before anything was, as the one who created it all. And he humbled himself to that. Obedience to the death. To the point of death. Not only death, but death on a cross. That which was accursed. That which was accursed. That's why we look to the cross. That's why we look to Jesus Christ. That's why there is salvation found in no one else. That is why we have to believe in the Jesus of the scriptures. And it is absolutely, as we have learned in John's gospel, impossible, impossible to honor the Father if we do not honor the Son as the one true God who came into this world, laying aside that glory to be obedient to the cross so the debt of sin would be paid by a merciful, loving, rich God so that you and I could have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. That is why and it's an appropriate passage to finish in. God has highly exalted him. Well, he's exalting himself. Yes, he is. Because it's all of God. There is no other Savior. There is no other place to look. He came into the world himself. But because he did it in the person of Jesus Christ, he says this. Look at it. Verse 9. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Now many people have had the name Joshua. Many people have had the name, if you will, English, Jesus. But this is the one true Son of God. The Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of God's revelation. And he says this. Every knee will bow. Those in heaven, angels, yes. 
Those on earth, people, yes. Those under the earth, yes. And that every tongue will confess, what? Not just Jesus Christ, but what is the next two words? That he's Lord. That he's Lord. Why? Isn't it interesting? To the glory of God the Father. Because there's one true God and three persons. Who is that son? What is he saying? Father, glorify me with the glory which I had with thee. And we don't comprehend it before the world was. Father, I left your presence out of love. I left your presence out of obedience. Oh, Father, I'm coming back. It's sure. And help me to enjoy that glory which I've enjoyed for all eternity. That's his prayer. But don't lose fact. Uh, don't lose track of the fact that this is presented by John so that we might understand that Jesus is the Christ. If you're here this morning, and in your heart of hearts, you want to know God, you're not sure if you've been good enough, or you know that you're a sinner and you can't, you're wondering, can God ever forgive me for the things that I've done? Can I ever truly know God? And is there any religion that's right on the earth? And are there answers that are right or whatever? Listen, folks, there is an answer for you. God himself was willing out of love, not only to create this world, but then to come because he knew that all men are sinners and have come short of the glory of God. No hope. The wages of sin are death. Tonight we'll be talking about the tree of life. No access to the tree of life. Out of the presence of God, man was cast. And God's solution was, I have to save them. So I will come in the presence of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will pay the penalty and price for sin. So that now whosoever believeth in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life, the true knowledge of God. Now. And we'll live with him for all eternity. And we'll enjoy the presence of God and continue to gain that knowledge of God experientially being in his presence for all eternity. Come to Jesus Christ. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. You can't pay for your sins. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. You can perform all the sacraments you want, and it isn't going to help. You can burn all the candles you want. You can say all the prayers you want. Listen, you can read your Bible all you want. But the objective of the Bible is to point you to the one true God and that he's the Savior, and it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. And the idea is to recognize that, yes, I believe that your son paid the penalty and price. I believe that you love me and sent your son for that purpose. And by believing in the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, you will have life through his name. You will be taken, as we saw this morning, from darkness to light. You will be taken from a sinful person to a person that's been forgiven of sin. But it is only found in Jesus Christ because he's the only begotten of the Father. He left his glory to come here. And you need to recognize that he's Lord. So believing on the Lord Jesus Christ isn't just a ticket to heaven and I go my way. You've been bought with a price. 
And if you believe on him, he owns you. But you know what? Like I said earlier, it brings tears to our eyes. Ownership. I'm owned by the God of the universe? What a blessing. I've been saved by the God of the universe. So how do I do that? I appropriate it by believing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Fellow believer, the Lord's going to pray shortly in John 17 for his apostles. He's going to pray for us as well as we will learn. But he was praying so that we would understand who he is for his own desires and that was just simply to bring glory to the Father. And if you've come to trust in Christ and have that gift of eternal life, who else should be giving thanksgiving to God but us? Who else should be ever ready on our lips? Who else should be ever ready to have our lives committed to him for whatever he wants, even if it means to inconvenient our schedule, our lives, because we belong to him? He wants to lead our life and use us for the glory of God. And not exactly like the Lord's Prayer here, but in a similar way, we ought to be praying, God, my heart's desire is that you bring glory to yourself through my life. Is he being glorified in our lives by the choices we make? By the things that we do? By the time we spend in prayer with him? by the time we spend alone with him? Or are we really directing our lives and just are glad that somewhere in my back pocket I got a ticket so when I see the Lord in heaven I say, yeah, I, I, I trusted in, yeah, can I get in? And you listen to some of the professions of faith and you watch the lives, I think there's too many that are in that category that when they hand the ticket the Lord's gonna say, I don't know you. You didn't walk with me. I didn't lead your life. You say you knew me, but if you knew me, you would obey me, just like he said to them. If you knew the one true God, you'd honor me. If you knew me, you'd rejoice to be walking with me and to serve me. If you're a professing believer, it's a good time for self-examination of how much the Lord's really got control of our lives. I pray that he's bringing glory to himself and to the Father through your life. Let's pray. My Father in God, the depths of the prayer of Jesus Christ haven't been touched. But I thank you, Father, that we can see that the Son desired to bring glory in everything that he did. And this is the Son who enjoyed the glory of your presence before the world was. I thank you that we not only serve a risen Savior, those who have come to Christ by faith, we serve the one true God, the only God. That Jesus Christ is not just some hero, not just some man, not just some theologian, but he's God, very God in the flesh, sent out of your love. Intervening right now for us as believers, reminding us and you that we are the children of God by faith. Help us to live with lives that are yielded to the Spirit of God. That you bring glory to your name. Let that be the desire of every believer here. And Father, if there be any in our room or in the halls that have not come to know Christ, it's our prayer that they come to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
that they appropriate what Jesus Christ has done through the belief that you've been sent him and that salvation is only found in Christ and they would confess their sins and believe on him. That today would be the day of their salvation. That they would understand eternal life and it would begin now. Father, how we look forward to being with Christ, but help us to live for him now. We commit the remainder of the day to you. We thank you for this time. And truly we pray with hearts of thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.